everyone always has something to say relative to education. I think the fact that so many people have opinions and perspectives on the schools is wonderful. School districts are very complicated. I will tell you that assumptions get made and sometimes they're correct and many times they are not. And I want to help people understand. We are educating kids for their future, not our past. Jeff Rose, and welcome to Leading Education. I'm not exactly sure what number podcast this is, but um, we are going to dive into what is a really important topic. And this is not a surprise because in a number of shows in the past, I have talked about this very thing. In fact, we have we have launched this as our kind of problem of practice number one in year one for Leading Ed Solutions, and so. Um, I will dive right in by describing that recently I had started writing an article on this. The article title is called Being Safe and Feeling Safe in Schools. And I started thinking that I would write a page or two, um, a teaser article, so to speak. I got five to seven pages in and realized, number one, I need to do some editing to, to pull myself back. But the challenge is this uh, topic we will discuss today um, can be something that we could do nothing but podcast on for a long period of time. Now, as, as an educator, as a past teacher and principal and superintendent in several different districts, um, I have come to see what I call the, the, the beauty of education. In fact, I had a pastor once describe our church as what he just said was a perfect mess. And education in many ways is similar. It is a perfect mess. When you are in the business of people raising people, there will be challenges. We all are naturally flawed, and it is extremely complicated and nuanced in a number of ways, but it is also um, beautiful work that happens. And I find myself torn as an educational leader often because I see the beauty. I see the artistic work that our educators do and how they impact the trajectory of lives of our students. And on the other hand, I also see some of the enormous challenges, challenges that at times we work on for years and feel as though we're not making progress because you know, sometimes the, our capacity as educators is limited to a degree and some of these challenges are not born in schools, but end up at our doorstep nonetheless, and those challenges are ours, and we accept them and do the best we can. I've seen these trends and acronyms in education come and go. Federal regulations continue to change our pendulum of what we deem as important education is often swinging back and forth. And in the meantime, people talk about public education as this very large ship to turn. It's difficult to turn, and that is true. The dilemma is it's not a ship, it's like a fleet. 
Uh, we have to remind ourselves that we have 13,600 school districts in this country, right? 98,000 plus public schools. And so this fleet is, um, is, is tricky. And yes, it produces a lot of layers that makes change hard and often we're embedded in tradition. However, I'll say this. I have watched us improve on some really important things over the years. In my 20 plus years as an educator, I've watched us do a better job as it relates to allocating resources aligned to our vision and focus of equity. I've watched us become better at supporting second language learners, integrating personalized learning models into the school day, technology, um, and having students experience that within the learning context, diagnosing student needs with improved assessment techniques. We've created content and courses better aligned to the economy, even though we have a long way to go. And in the meantime, in all of those areas, we still, while improving, um, have some incredible struggles and challenges ahead. In the meantime, I think we have one very specific topic that's sliding in the opposite direction. I think the, uh, I worry, and I've said this on the show before, um, if I have anxiety as an educator, it comes down to issues of safety. I worry tremendously about safety for our students, and that's not just physical. The umbrella of safety is about physical safety, of course, but it's also about some of the social and emotional challenges our kids are facing. We do know that incidents of school shooting has um, risen dramatically. 2018 and 19 were, um, have been and continue to be very, very, uh, it's just uh, traumatic. Um, in fact, over the last two years, we've never had any other years in terms of his number of shooting incidences in schools and out in public um, since 1970. And by the way, that's only because that's when we started recording such data. So um, in the meantime, it's not as though school districts and public institutions aren't doing anything about that. In my past couple districts, we've had a variety of strategies, whether that be increased the number of armed officers, you know, adding camera surveillance, some with even facial recognition capability. We've revamped staff and shooting protocol training, guaranteed communication infrastructure for police officers with lo local jurisdictions, you know, SWAT trained professionals within the school districts. And then of course, we've encouraged our families that this isn't just our job, it's their job too, you know, through how they report safety concerns. And you ask them like a, a, a teacher, excuse me, I guess you'd say a superintendent or a parent, what's your biggest fear? They may talk about something like a school shooting. In the meantime, the educator who's working with students every day don't say that. They don't talk about the issues, the physical issues, as much as they talk about the social and emotional issues. Educators are saying their biggest challenge has to do, their number one concern has to do with you know, this ongoing anxiety and stress and depression our kids are facing. And, you know, why? Well, there's lots of probably reasons and rationales that could be the case, right? We have social media impact and some of that peer pressure, constant information overload. We have anxiety around performance and competing both in school and at home. Increased academic pressures, family drama and drama, issues of poverty. There's a variety of things that contribute to school student anxiety. But in the meantime, what are we doing about it? Well, 
School districts are doing everything they can with the resources they have. As I was writing this article, I had somebody, an editor, say to me, I want to know what you're doing that's innovative. What is happening in the field that is innovative as it relates to school safety? So, and actually what, what brings me to introduce my guests, which I'm thrilled to engage in this discussion, um, I will tell you, when it talked about innovation, it took me a minute. I had to start to think, so what are we doing that's in fact innovative? Um, I can tell you, I do think we're doing um, a different, different kind of work relative to school, uh, excuse me, social media monitoring. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. I think we're doing different work as it relates to this concept of see something, say something, how we expand the overall role and responsibility of safety into the hands of students and communities and social emotional curriculum. And a variety of things that we're going to talk about today really kind of focus on those specific areas. So um, I would like to introduce you to Titania Jordan. So welcome to the show. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank of you course. so much for having me. So I'm going to start with a brief bio, and I'll be as brief as I can because there's this is a long, impressive, and intimidating list. Now, Titania Jordan is currently the CMO and Chief Parent Officer at Bark, an internet safety solution. We're going to talk a lot about that today, which helps parents and schools keep children safer across social media, text messaging, and email. And we'll describe what that is and the how. Um, as current host of Tech Connect. She was the former host of NBC Atlanta with the weekly show, Atlanta Tech Edge. Titania has the honor of covering a lot of the latest in tech news and talent across the, both the city and the globe. Early in her career, she had her own marketing consulting firm. Her past roles include serving as the CMO of KidsLink, co-founder and CMO of Privet, and executive director of Band of Coders Girls Academy. And... Um, you know, there's a variety of things she's done and continues to do to help uh, launch startups here in the Atlanta area. You may have seen her on the Today Show, Steve Harvey, The Doctor, CBS This Morning, Good Morning America, Fox News, Sirius XM Radio, and CNBC speaking at esteemed conferences such as Venture Beat, Mobile Beat, contributing to Forbes, Huffington Post, Fox Business, Daily Mail, USA Today, and Vogue. So I asked earlier before we started... Um, how that works. So uh, <laughs> how does that work? Well, I don't do it all at once. Um, that's, that's for sure. And Bark is my primary focus right now. So, And, and we're going to talk a lot about that. And I became familiar with Bark, I don't know, a little over a year ago and watching the really interesting, amazing growth. It must be an incredible uh, and amazing ride that you, you, you've been on and, and leading in many ways. It has been. And you mentioned just the, the school shooting epidemic, um, and that was one of our major platforms of growth, was after witnessing Parkland in the spring of 2018, we knew we had this technology that was working for families, and we also knew that it could work for schools. And we also knew that we needed to get it out as quickly as possible to as many schools as possible for free in order to help prevent the next Parkland. So that's exactly what we did, and are now in over 1,200 schools and districts across the nation. So let's let's back up for mm -hmm. a minute, and let's, um, you know, I, I kind of breeze through this bark. Right. 
maybe just talk about the, uh, we'll get into the why in a minute, but mm-hmm. specifically, what is it? What are the sure. mechanics? Um, how does it work? And what, is it, you know, what does it provide the users, so to speak? Sure. So Bark is technology that keeps children safer online and in real life. And that's the, the ideal you know, pitch. Um, how that actually works is that our algorithm, it's artificial intelligence using machine learning algorithms and natural language processing, will analyze over 25 social media platforms that you connect to with your child's username and password, um, also text messages, also email. And so our algorithm will analyze the content that's going in and coming out from these devices and accounts. When it stumbles upon something problematic, it will then send an alert to either the parent or the school admin, along with best recommended next steps for how to address. And one distinction here, uh, because the parental control landscape is very cluttered, but there was no real effective player in the parental monitoring space. And that's what we do. We're not going to give a log of every data point that has gone in or come out of your child's device, we're only going to alert you to the issues like cyberbullying, sexual content, thoughts of suicide and depression, potential drug use, acts of violence, online predators. Then, because we don't want to just give you the problem, you know, all of us as parents in this digital age that no parent has ever had to parent before, we need to give you tips. How do you deal with this? Do you escalate it to law enforcement? How do you report it? How do you block? How do you talk to your kid about things like pornography before you had planned to? Right. And that's what we're doing. So um, now this 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 space mm-hmm. that that Bark is filling, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting from from my perspective in that five six years ago this was a discussion uh, mm-hmm. that started and school districts started to. Uh, think about how can we be uh, more preventative. Right. We've known in schools for a long period of time that our best source of information actually is our kids. Mm. But in the meantime, we had this action that would happen via social media that would cause these incredible problems, right. and then we would be um, we would be responding to as opposed to proactive. At the time, the concept that we're talking about here um, was controversial. Yes. It was, we wanted to talk about it, but then we would quickly shy away knowing that we're not going to get, when I say we, school district, administration, et cetera, we're not going to get away with being able to do this, even though we know that there are some budding products. So things and times have changed, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, they absolutely have um, for a variety of reasons. Um, You know, there are some tech players in this space that claim to be able to monitor social media for schools but the thing is is they're monitoring the publicly available accounts any kid that has a public twitter or instagram or facebook account anybody can scan the difference with bark is that we are accessing the private accounts the private dms and alerting to the the dangers we're not just you know filling admins tables with a bunch of clutter because they already have enough on their plate we're going to let you know when there's a credible school shooting threat, when there's a credible you know, child really contemplating taking their life. Um, and just in terms of educational outcomes, the fact that these, these computers that are now in every kid's hand affect their attendance, affect their grades, affect the dynamic and the culture in the hallways um, is a very real and pervasive problem. And as a school, 
body that is meant to help educate these children and help them become responsible digital natives, you no longer have a choice but to get involved. Um, And the school and the parent communities have to work together. It can no longer be separate. So I, I want to go back a little bit. I um, I noticed in some information relative to Bark that it was created in collaboration with child psychologists, youth advisors, digital media experts, and law enforcement. So maybe can you talk about the process, the origination, where it came from, and how? Maybe that that process is, is interesting. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I know people listening are probably very familiar with Simon Sinek and the power of why, and I'd mm-hmm. love to give the why and the how. Um, so our CEO, Brian Basin, is a dad of two, and he was working at Twitter at the time, and his boys became of the age where they were going to be given devices and a- accounts. And he set out to see what the current landscape was for parental controls and parental monitoring, himself being a very tech-savvy, intelligent, social media-savvy as well, human. And he saw that there was no good way to keep his own two boys safer online without being incredibly cumbersome um, and clunky and invasive. So he left Twitter to start Bark. And that was July of 2015. And fast forward to now, um, we protect over three and a half million children now across the nation. Three and a half million. Yep. So maybe give me a breakdown. How much of that, quote, protection is through working with school district versus or maybe, and working directly with parents and through the home? Yeah. When we launched the free schools offering for both the G Suite and Microsoft platforms um, in the spring of 2018, our growth became exponential. Um, I can't give exact numbers, um, but it, it really really propelled our company towards some amazing growth. Do you see an interesting partnership when you're working with a school district and therefore that may translate to actually the parents within the school district? So there's some, uh, you know, a partnership there may be both using the same tools. Have you found that to be the case? Yes. I mean, that's, that's ideal because we know that children are getting Chromebooks and iPads and accessing tech. We also know that they're not just using that school-issued tech for research and book reports. They're using it for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, And if we know that children are using school-issued tech and devices for sometimes nefarious purposes, how much more so is that happening on their personal devices and accounts? Right. And so if we can build trust authentically with these schools and districts and prove to them that we uh, can deliver on our word and protect these children and they trust us, then we're the ones that they're going to be recommending to the, the parents. So um, there's, as we add uh, technology and tools to allow us to monitor and intervene, mm-hmm. whether that be through products like Bark, you know, the school districts now, most of them have these apps that allow anonymous reporting of right. kind of what they hear about and so forth. Um, the other challenge is ensuring that there is the infrastructure to be able to follow through. Right. What what has Bark learned about that in terms of it's one thing to have the information, mm-hmm. which is obviously um, it's 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 a huge improvement relative to what maybe we were struggling with years ago. Right. Now that we have it, what have you noticed in terms of you know maybe some stories that it's really, really worked, as well as maybe some of the rubber challenges with that. 
Yeah, one thing that it has really highlighted is that an administrator's job is never really over. Um, you know, if we're alerting something, alerting someone to something, and it's after hours, um, we're going to have to make a phone call. They're going to have to get involved. The school day doesn't just end at 3.30 when children are using Google Docs to cyberbully each other. And so what we've learned is that, and it's no secret, but, you know, the the school systems are in need of support. We need more mental health support, more counselors, more resources dedicated to supporting not only children, but the people who support the children. There's a lot of children that don't even feel comfortable going to the resources that are available. So if we can, uh, you know, cut some of this off at the head or at the pass, yeah, um, yeah. you know, that would be huge before it escalates to the severe alert. Another thing is that once a severe alert happens, um, it can be very overwhelming to somebody who's maybe been in the job for two or three years and they don't quite know what to do. Do you call law enforcement? Do you call the parent? Is the parent the problem? Um, and so there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes with organizations like NICMIC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the FBI, local law enforcement. That's where our partnerships with you know child health and wellness professionals come into play because every situation is so unique. So that's why it takes the school and the parent or the caregiver working together to figure out what's the best solution for this child. And that's why we as a company don't ever really sleep. There's always somebody that that you can call and talk to about an issue that might arise. So this, um, w- with more information, mm-hmm. the more uh, the more partnerships are right. that are, are needed. Yes. So that you can, in fact, respond, yes. right? Because I guess what would be the one of the worst things is that we we knew something and right. we're not able to, or we did not intervene, yep. right? Um, so I assume that those partnerships with entities you described are critical. They are absolutely critical. I mean, when we, you know, discover a threat written on the bathroom wall, mm-hmm. don't come to school tomorrow, bang, bang. Um, right. You know, that needs to be acted on right away. And thankfully it has. And, you know, we've helped to escalate 16 credible school shooting threats now to the FBI um, in the tens of thousands of of self-harm and suicidal alerts. I mean, it is, the scale is, is pretty mind-blowing. Um, to have this sort of very clear picture of the state of children, you know, seven to seventeen today. Okay, so let's let's go over some of that data again and make mm-hmm. sure that we repeat it. So, um, credible shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you said how many incidences? So sixteen credible school shooting threats to the okay. FBI. Now let's pause there because mm-hmm. there's um, there's other threats. Oh yes. You say you know quote credible. Right. Right. I think it's important that we just <laughs> take a minute that. There is an impact on any sort of threat. Mm-hmm. I mean, so anxiety, right? So yeah. one dilemma that that we're experiencing is not just students, you know, quote being safe, but students need to feel safe, which is one of the huge challenges that we're experiencing. And even a threat that's not credible has this incredible ripple effect through staff and through students and through community. And by the way, I want to be honest to everyone out there. You don't know everything. We try to be transparent. We're much more transparent now with the community relative to things that happen. But being that there's a lot of information flowing back and forth, if all the information 
was understood by everyone, well, we would never leave our homes. Right. Right. So tell me about this. Let's talk about the suicide issue because yes. um, suicide right now of our youth is, is an all time high. It is. It's the second leading cause of death now in children. Yes, it is. 10 to 18. And it's, it's so devastating. Um, you know, I'm reading a book called um, The Secret Lives of American Girls uh, with regards to their social media. And what it really highlights is the fact that they really can't trust anyone. We're now living in a day and age where every conversation could be shared via screenshot. Um, the the level at which people have to go to now to appear perfect online and offline is staggering. Yeah. Um, there is this constant quest for perfection that is not actually attainable. On top of that, your self-esteem is now measured in likes and comments and followers versus real friendships. And there's a, a lack of empathy that comes from being behind a screen uh, and just an increased you know, pressure to get into that school or those schools. And um, it is very hard to be uh, a tween or teen today. I do not envy this generation, but I do have hope that we who have been through it uh, and are now on the other side can help, but we have to be aware first. So this is, this is, this is definitely not, this, this question isn't something we talked about before. I'm just curious because, mm-hmm. um, I've mentioned over and over that, um, I can't relate to what kids are facing. Right. And so, and, and my job has often been to create infrastructure and supports to help students. And yet I have no idea what it's like to be the age of my own kids, mm. let alone the kids, you know, in the K-12 system right now. Right. Um, which creates a really interesting dilemma. Yeah. Right? So you mentioned uh, us being able to maybe help them through. Yes. Um, that's true. And kind of a tricky concept, isn't it? It's very hard because it, you can't help what you don't know. Right. So education is so key. Um especially honestly parental education parents need to know how accessible risky content is for their kids you know back in our day we had to go to the library or perhaps a shady convenience store to get access to certain types of material right uh now it's a it's a tap away it's a click away um the rate at which a child can broadcast content live uh, that apparently disappears, but doesn't really, again, it's a screenshot away, can ruin their lives forever. Um, also, the rate at which children's location can be tracked and their likeness or persona can be duplicated and then used against them in a way of, of cyberbullying, it's just mind-blowing. And the fact that they can't escape any of this. You know, we used to be able to go home and at least escape the bully until the next morning. That is no longer the case. And it's not just active uh, berating via comments. It's exclusion. It's you go on Instagram and see all of your friends are at the Taylor Swift concert and you're not. You weren't invited and it's in your face because you're on the social media platform. It's the person you used to be dating, posting pictures with their new love interest. It's chat groups that you're not a part of. I mean, it, the scale at which problematic content and situations can arise, all from something that lives in the palm of their hand and can go anywhere, yeah. is, is incredible. So t- let's talk about, uh, I can imagine the stories 
mm-hmm. that you've been able to collect over the short period of time yeah. as you know bark has become more prevalent. Right. Um, maybe you can describe some of those things. I'm I'm often told by people listening to the show it'd be great if you just you know, maybe tell some stories. Uh, sometimes I thought I, I really had a good show because I went deep into the critical components of a strategic plan. And someone asked me, we'd, we'd love if you just tell a story about right. a kid. Right. So are there any particular um, stories that had occurred that really kind of, um, you know, depict why this tool is not just needed, but how it's helped? Absolutely. The one that stands out in my mind over and over again um, is the story of a little girl just called Sally. That's not her real name, yeah. but uh, Sally lives in the northern Midwest, and at the time she was 12. And she was a very popular girl, a cheerleader, lots of friends, very happy on the outside. Uh, and she had an iPhone. And on that iPhone, she happened to Google how to commit suicide using things in your home. And thank God her mother had installed Bark probably two weeks prior to that event and got a bark alert that her child was Googling this information and was able to sit down and talk to her 12-year-old girl, who again seemed to have the perfect life, about why she needed to stay on this planet and why that wasn't the way to go. And now Sally, again not her real name, uh, is a thriving 13-year-old. She's still on this planet. She's enjoying life. She's realizing that there are ups and downs, but ultimately this technology was able to give her mother insight that she otherwise might not have had until it was too late. And this story, you know, different people but same narrative, is one that re- replays itself week after week, day after day in, in our lives um, because children are Googling things, they're following certain accounts. Again, the access. They can now go online and find out how to do these things so easily. Right. Um, you know, another story, I mentioned the, the Snapchat bathroom wall thing, but we actually had a case where some child wrote on the bathroom wall, don't come to school tomorrow, bang, bang. It was handwriting. Another child took a photo of it, uploaded it to Snapchat. Our algorithm scanned it, were able to escalate it to the authorities and shut down school the next day because it was found to be a credible threat that, thank God, did not materialize. A credible threat and basically third party. Right. By the time... You know, it was it was sent out. That's right. That's right. Um, there's a story out of Florida in the Panhandle about two weeks ago. Um, you know, sexting is a is a big issue. Sexting is the new first base for any of you listening who don't already know that. And um, online predators are using technology now to target uh, children under the age of 18. And our technology sent an alert to a parent about some inappropriate photos that were being exchanged that helped to lead to the capture of a a child predator in the panhandle. Um, There are predators that are communicating with kids through school-issued devices and accounts. Um, It's just, it's a whole new world. It it is. You know, the the last couple of school districts that I've worked in, we've we've had, you know, this period of time where um, it's actually humbling to think about We've had some major successes where we've seen um, some of our academic records uh, broken. Like we've mm-hmm. done extremely well in a couple of districts. However, um, and I, I can't create a direct correlation around this, but um, also during those times um, in two different districts, um, we can show that we've also broken records in terms of the number of students that have taken their own lives. Mm. 
Yeah. Now, no direct correlation, but it's intriguing that um, you can create a levels of successes, but it does not take away from some of the anxiety and stress that comes through some of the very pressures that you're describing here. Right. Now, you take a tool like Bark as an example. Um, maybe let's chat about the parents who don't understand. Right? right? Sometimes we may think, well, here's the thing, screen time. We've got to shut these things off. <laughs> Right now, the dilemma. I, I understand that. I mean, right. I'm a parent of two kids, and I don't want them doing nothing but having a phone. But right. it is part of their reality that I'm, you know, slowly learning. I can't necessarily deny. Yeah, I mean, it's that is a very frequent conversation I have in my household with my middle schooler. Is you know, I'm not going to take away your access to your PS4 or Fortnite or your phone because I know that's that is the new playground. That's the new right. movie theater. That's right. the new mall. That is right. how you communicate and connect socially with your peers. That said, I also work to educate him on what it's doing to his brain and his emotions to be presented with this sort of media, um, how it's reforming neural pathways and giving him a literal dopamine and serotonin hit, much much like ice cream. Um, I want to educate him on, on what it is doing to him and let him know that he can either choose to be in control or that tech can be in control. And our option is for him to be in control of that and to make sure he gets enough time outside, make sure he gets enough time in real life with his friends in person, put the tech away, talk to each other. I love the story of kids going out to eat now and putting all their phones in the middle of the table and the first person to pick it up, you know, pays the bill. That gives me hope for this generation. You know, I I have to, there are actually lots of things. And uh, unfortunately, um, I would say parents don't even have the ability to see some of the things happening in schools in this day and age. That's why I described at the very beginning, I'm very torn because mm-hmm. um, it's very, if we talk about this discussion, mm-hmm. um, I can think one way relative to our kids and what they're facing. In the meantime, there are certain things our kids are able to do that we couldn't have dreamed of at their age. Right. And there are some incredible things to be hopeful for, yeah. um, whether we know how to intervene or not. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to just say I really appreciate you bringing up the need not just for you know technology monitoring, but the need for really critical human capital specific to counselors, social workers, yes. people that can respond and help our students through this. Because from a district perspective, which is sometimes a political discussion, we yeah. get into this dilemma on can we afford police officers or social workers? You know, and which really just describes the kinds of conversations. I'm not saying anything, whether it's police officers or, right, it's an, it's an and conversation. Mm-hmm. But we sometimes lean in one direction or the next on what's going to keep our children safe. It's all going to keep our children safe. And in the meantime, we do need some technology and tools that help us adapt and adjust and provide information, which I think just makes, uh, just bark this extremely interesting tool. Thank you. And another thing I want to bring up and hopefully pose to those listening to help try to solve is, is the mindset shift. You know, the thing that we see over and over again is, um, let's say a girl sent a boy a nude photo because she thought it would stay between them because they're dating, that it gets distributed to the entire student body. And then she feels that immediate sense of this will never pass. My life is over and then takes her life. So helping children get outside of the this is not forever this is just for now that's something that we as adults can relate to 
because back in the day we, we had a zit. It was the end of the world. Right. You can't go to the prom. Right. Fast forward to your 30s, you don't care. Right. So helping children to understand that there is more to life than this day, than this grade, than this friend group, help them to know that it gets better, help them to know that not one mistake will define your life or your actions, even if everybody knows about it because of what they've seen online. More inspirational stories of people that have come from the deepest, darkest depths and gotten out of that will give this generation hope to see beyond that that immediacy of my life is over. So, and I, I, everyone can relate to some of these challenges, right? Whether it be some sort of blemish that we had to kind of work through as a kid. But um, I'd like to say publicly that as an educator, um, and I've mentioned this before, I, I promise you, we cannot create a direct correlation between, between grades and success. Is no. there um, the need to be able to accomplish and demonstrate grit? Duckworth has done great work on that. But we also know that those temporary failures are not what determine success. It's actually a student's, and we have lots of stories to describe this, a student's ability to adapt and adjust and move beyond failure. And unfortunately, there are sometimes tools in a child's pocket that make that more difficult. And... Um, you know, it'll be an ongoing challenges for us in the years to come, I think. Yeah, helping helping children to find their gifts, where they can pull on self-confidence um, is going to be key because they're constantly faced with everybody's best, most perfect moments, right. and then they fall into the comparison trap. So that's, um, yeah, helping to identify each individual child's strength. You know, not everybody has to be good at math. Uh, not everybody has to be good at English. Everybody has to find what their true calling is. Why are they here on this planet? And then our job as educators and parents and community members is to pour into that gift or those gifts and help foster them. So, Titania, is there anything that um, we haven't talked about that I didn't ask about that would be really important to kind of summarize not just this discussion relative to the social emotional challenges and sometimes how that ends up as a safety issue uh, for our students, bark in general. What have I missed relative to what's most important to this ongoing dialogue and discourse? It's a great question. Thank you for asking. Um, I would say that specific to the audience that is listening to this right now, um, I'm assuming you are educators, people who care about education, people who care about children. Um, there's sometimes a disconnect between parents and educators because honestly, parents can just really annoy them. I know, I am a parent, I'm probably pretty annoying, and I don't mean to be. But what I need as a parent from the educators and administration who are on the front lines is education. Don't be afraid to share the hard stuff with these parents because otherwise they don't know. You've got to, and I know you, you are not making enough money and you do not have the support you need, but you are on the front lines. You see what is happening in the hallways. You see what is happening with children. Um, raise your voice. Uh, I know it might be hard. You might be worried you might lose your job. Uh, so maybe in an anonymous way, but like you teachers and administration are seeing things before anybody else does. And so we, we can't do anything about it as a society unless it's made known.
Yeah, so I'll, I'll just jump on uh, to that. So I, I fully agree. And the challenge that you just described is, is really one of change. Mm-hmm. The job of being an educator, an educational leader in this day and age is dramatically different than when I started. Oh, my gosh. Um, the job, by the way, of being a parent is also different. Yep. And so I often think that the overall goal is a level of empathy. Yes. Right, that parents understand that teachers have challenges for which they don't necessarily know how to navigate. Teachers, you have to understand parents' job is different now than it was. This is not about creating expectations and pointing the finger. Right. This is about truly understanding and think about how do we meet in the middle with sometimes the, the honest discourse needed to provide the information that we need to parent well or teach well. Right. And sometimes those lines get blurred, but they just are. Yeah. Right. And this is a different day and age. The dilemma is how do we as adults adapt and adjust according to the needs of students? Because by the way, I said on the show before, we're preparing them for their future, not our past. And that's (laughs) not my quote. But how do we do that when it's their future, which we sometimes can't relate to? We have to rely on one another and sometimes let our guard down and do things differently. Yes. And I really appreciate you broaching that, which goes beyond just the, the, the tool of Bark. And so it's been an honor and a privilege to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. It's been a big honor to be a part of this and spend time with you and, and talk to all of you listening. And, you know, this is not CBS or NBC or Fox and so forth. So, um, you know, this this won't probably end up in one of your highlights one day. So I appreciate you being able to sit and talk to me. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, teachers, parents, um, educational leaders, I'm going to say thank you for listening to Leading Education. Have a wonderful day. listening to Leading Education with Jeff Rose, hosted by Jason Pace and Jeff Rose, and recorded at Serendipity Labs in Alpharetta, Georgia. We are produced and edited by Carson Pace. Our theme music is by Full Year of Panic. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.